Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the, the second edition of UFC Nostalgia. Today, I have a, a very, very important guest. Uh, all the guests are important, but this guy, he's, he's, he's an OG. If you could call somebody an OG, he's an OG. Before Conor McGregor, before Chell Sonnen, there was this man. He's fought seven times in the UFC. He competed for the welterweight title twice, the one and only. Frank Trick, thank you so much, Frank, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No doubt, no doubt. Now, let's go back to 2003, your first run in the UFC. Before you signed with the UFC, you were fighting in Japan. Shudo, Valley Tudo, Japan, Pride. You fought, you competed for all of those before even competing for the UFC. Now, a lot of the guys that watch the sport now, the fans, they only know of the UFC. You know, they, they forget about, you know, those promotions. And some of them are still going on. Uh, was the UFC the premier organization like it is now back then? Hell no. <laughs> Not at all. So that that was part of the, the gimmick. Um, remember, back, back when I first fought for the UFC, I think it was UFC 45, there's only eight fights a year for the UFC, right? They, they're throwing three fights this month. Starting, start, starting with next Saturday. It's like Saturday, Wednesday, and the following Saturday. Like they're throwing three fights. It's, it's incredible how big they become. Uh, it's incredible what Dana White has done. And, of course, the Fatita brothers uh, did before they sold the company off. To get the sport in the States, it was illegal in 48 of our, of our 50 states. It was illegal, and it moved on. So now we're, there's maybe a couple small pockets in the world that don't allow MMA, but pretty much everyone in the world allows MMA because of what the UFC did. But, no, they were not the juggernaut that they are today. It was pride. And so it was this battle between Pride and the UFC, who was good, who was bad. If you guys remember, uh, Rampage Jackson was with Pride. They sent Chuck Liddell over from the UFC to fight, to fight in Pride to prove that, that UFC had the better fighters. And then, then when Pride got sold, all the fighters moved over to uh, the UFC. And then a lot of them, you know, were, you know, because there was no drug testing, so a lot of them were on steroids. And so all of a sudden they got drug tested once they hit, hit UFC. So they fell apart. A lot of these guys were past their prime. They've fought so many times in, the, in in Pride. Now they're with the UFC, and they got they got uh, way past their prime, so they got beat up. So it was like, oh, Pride really wasn't that good. Pride really wasn't that good. Well, then you look at it, you're like, well, all the best fighters in the world were fighting overseas in Japan because the pay was better. It was just, and they pay you in cash, so it's a bigger deal, is a better deal, you know. And and from that start, so I got lucky. I started fighting, you know, some local small circuits in Texas. Um, and then got the opportunity to fight in Japan and went over fun in Japan, did pretty well. And that gave me the opportunity, plus with the trash talking, gave me the ability to get pulled in and, and I got underneath Matt Hughes' skin. And then, you know, then we had two fights. And that, that's just, that's really how easy it is back then to make a fight happen. Uh, you think today, if you read social media and guys are like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just going to call this guy out and start talking trash to him. And if the fans get behind it, then it would it would it takes off, which makes sense. So the fans want to see the fight. You want the fight to happen because ticket sales, beer sales, pay-per-view sales, merchandise sales all increase because the fans want to see this fight. Well, when we did it, there was no social media. We 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 had we had uh, we had we had my we had MySpace. We had MySpace, and then we had the mixed martial arts forums, and we had the shirt out forums, and that was it. And there was very few people watching. A lot of people had to wait, especially when you're fighting in Japan. They had to wait till like the following month for it to come out on, on VHS tape to go get the tape to bring it home to watch it on TV. There was no way to, to watch these fights. It was, wasn't a pay-per-view schedule of having these things international. So when we did it, at least in my mind, of course, I'm biased because I was in it. Our job was a lot harder to sell a fight. We had a lot more. I mean, you can get, I mean, Justin Gaethje, he'll, he'll get on and post like three things about Tony Ferguson. And he'll have 3 million or 4 million people look at it. When we did that, we were lucky if we had 3,000 or 4,000 people look at it. But it still was enough to make people want to have want to see these fights. And that we built a legacy on having no reach to anybody at all. So it was pretty neat fighting over in Japan. You walk into these arenas, and I was talking about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then you get in, all of a sudden, you get into a pride arena, and you look at St. Thomas Super Arena. And it's not even its full expansion. It's at the mid-expansion. That's like, I apologize. I forget. I commentate there so much you would think i remember the numbers but i don't it's either set for like 32 or 36,000 at the mid at the mid level and you walk out there and every seat's full for the second part of the night you're like this is wow like i'm, I'm in the i'm in a i'm in the big leagues and the ufc back then would have like 2,000 3,000 people you know 
maybe do a hundred thousand pay per view, hundred twenty five thousand pay per view. You know, you're like, dude, it, like in Japan, these things were it was on it was on Fuji TV, and so it'd be seen by everybody on primetime. Everybody be on TV watching it at home, in their houses. So everybody in Japan watched these fights. It was a, it was a really big deal to fight over there. Uh, it was a lot of fun too. I mean, obviously, culturally speaking, it's a lot of fun being American, being from the East Coast, but being in a farm community, seeing a few Asians, but not really know what Asians are all about. Then all of a sudden, you're you're in the middle of Japan, you're in the middle of Tokyo. You know, I'm not a subway guy. All of a sudden, I'm in the subways, I'm taking taxi cabs everywhere. Like, this is like totally surreal for me. And then now it's been, my wife and I were trying to figure out the other day, but I made like 60 trips or thereabout to to Japan for for fights, not not for pleasure, just for fights to go work. And it's like. That's a huge amount of trips to go for somebody. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat uh, uh, to think about the expansion of how big the fight game has become since 2000. You know, 2003 was my run in, but I had been fighting Japan since 97. So, you know, think about that. You know, from 97 to 2003, before I could finally get into the, into the UFC, and the money was actually better still in Pride. Like, I could have stayed in Pride and made a lot more money, but I wanted to fight in the U.S. I wanted to you know, kind of... Kind of, I, I thought the UFC was going to get was going to was going to blow up, not the way that it did. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, allergy season. No, I don't have COVID. Um, so it, it became one of those things where it just kind of blew up onto its own. And I knew it was going to get bigger, but I didn't think it was going to get this big, as big as it is now. But I was like, oh, it's going to grow up. So I want to kind of make my move into the into the UFC and see what happens. And you know, it was it was great getting that call up. You know, uh, unfortunately, my record is not as good as is. If you look at my UFC record. I'm a horrible fighter, but you look at my overall record, I'm pretty decent. So that's like one of the weird things. We're like, oh, it's only the UFC. It's only the UFC. And, you know, I own a gym in downtown LA, and we'll get guys that'll come in and be like, hey, um, I've never trained. I've never done anything before in my life, uh, but I want to I wanna, I wanna fight UFC. You're like, you want to do what? I, I want to fight UFC. You're like, what, what do you mean you want to fight UFC? You, that's not a thing. Like, it's, like saying, it's like saying I want, I want to fight Manchester United. You know, I want to fight Denver Broncos. Like, this doesn't make any sense. It's kind of, what are you talking about? Like, oh, you know, it's like, okay, so you only watch UFC. You don't realize there's other organizations. Okay, so then you have to educate them. Sports called mixed martial arts. MMA is how it's usually said short. It's three disciplines, grappling, striking, and grappling, or wrestling, grappling, and striking. Where do you want to start? And then you kind of got to give them their induction. They're like, oh, wow, this is way harder than I thought. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, well, you know, my, my buddy Brian Ortega does it. You know, I watched him as a kid. He lives right down the street. Like, yeah, but when you were out partying with your friends, Brian Otago was in the jiu-jitsu academy working on rolling. Like, he was working. Like, you were just sitting on the couch. So it, it's become that kind of thing where you're like, if you really think back on it, where how small it was, like, it was really super teeny when I started to the size of, of it is now. You're like, I mean, a fight night had more had more fights in it than my pay-per-view fight. You know, you go to a fight night now, it'll there'll be 25,000 fans. There'll be 30,000 fans. When I fought, there was like a couple thousand. It is what it is, you know, and that, that this kind of—it's really incredible how big the sport has actually become. When the UFC came at you, were they very aggressive to sign you initially, or did you have to kind of go chase after them? It, it, I don't really know because my manager handled all that, so I was kind of oblivious. So remember, there's no—you you didn't have Twitter where you get a hold of Dana White. Back when I started, you could call Dana's office, and Dana picked up the phone. And as assistant. Not not like he was like he picked up the phone. Like hey, Dana White, you know, president of UFC. And you're like, I got to hold the guy. Like I got to hold the guy. Now they have a floor of lawyers that's more than the original people that were in the office. And that's just one floor of lawyers. They've got like three or four floors of lawyers in their building. It's incredible how you know what's come. How I chased them, I'm not really sure if it was us chasing them or or them chasing us because that was all dealt with by my manager uh, Rico and, and Louis Ciparelli. I had nothing to do with it. All I know is, is that I, I was just let loose to talk trash. That's all I knew. Is like, okay, well, let's, let's just go talk and see what happens. I would talk and I would just make honest opinions and honest speculations about stuff and see what would happen. And once I found out how you get into somebody's skin, I just keep talking about it. And you know, and back then the communities were really small, like like jujitsu is now. Jujitsu is a very small, tight knit community, and jujitsu academies are really small, really tight knit. The wrestling community, which is what I was in, was very small, very tight knit. So any reports, anything that came out, people would. Pay attention to all of it. They look at everything that went on. Look at everything that went down. It was, and it was really, it's, it's, it's really uh, 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 cool to see a guy that you respect as a wrestler 
that wrestled a different weight class in a different part of the country. You've never hung out, you've never been together, you've never done anything, but he's all of a sudden chiming in on your on your interviews and chiming in on your stuff. He's like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. It's not like that now. Now it's like your mom, your brother, your aunt, everybody can get a hold of Dana, hit on Twitter, hit him up and, and get after it. So I just kept getting on the forums and doing interviews like this, uh, uh, but they were in person, not not via Skype even. It was like, it was crazy. You know, you know if you really think about how it was back then, it was, there was nothing at all happening that, that today's fighters couldn't do it. Not, not the way that they're set to do it now. We didn't have the science. We didn't have, we didn't have the wherewithal. We didn't have the knowledge of what was going on. It was still very much my Kung Fu is better than your karate, which is better than your judo, which is better than your jiu-jitsu, which is better than my wrestling. And so it was like, let's see which is better. Like who's got the better game, you know? And that's really what it is. And now these guys are real mixed martial arts. They do everything and have been since they were like six or seven years old. So it's 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 really expanded. It's really changed up. And like I said, man, I could call Danny, get home on the phone, and you know now make an appointment. He might talk to you in six months. <laughs> you know, unless your manager has got like one of his champs, you know, or or a fighter that he likes, you know, then he'll get a hold of you right away. But otherwise, you're you're kind of on the waiting list. Just gotta wait and see. Well, in your promotional debut, you fought for the welterweight title. How did that all come together? Just being able to just sign with their promotion and getting a fight like that off the bat. Oh, so what I want to tell you is because I was such a superior athlete, such a great fighter that they came after me and chased it down. The reality of it, Matt Hughes had cleaned out the division. There's nobody left in their roster for him to fight. He already beat everybody up. So like, we got to bring somebody else in. We don't know what to do. And so he had a fight, he won the title, and then he mentioned in one of the post-fight interviews that he didn't like what I was saying about him and he wants to, you know, he wants to, he'd like to fight me next. And that's how it came about. Now, whether or not they told him to give me the call out after, or if he just arbitrarily did the call out, that's really how it happened. The champ called out the next challenger, the next challenger signed a dotted line, and we fought. And that's just how, how it actually worked out. How much of it was me needling and pushing his buttons? How much of it was the, the administration, you know, Dana and, and, and saying, go, hey, look, call this guy out? Or how much of it was, was Matt's manager at the time, Monty Cox, was like, call Trig out after his fight's over? Like, I don't know any of that or how it worked behind, but what I do want to say is, is that I was a superior athlete. They needed me on the roster. <laughs> What's the reality? I got no idea. <laughs> so, yes, he's too much of a face. You know, you got your baby faces, you got your heels, right? You got your good guy, you got your bad guy. He's too good of a guy. And the problem with a guy like that, it's like it's like GSP. When George St. Pierre is fighting, it's really tough to follow a guy like that because he doesn't talk trash. Now, when he wins as much as those guys had won and beat as many guys as those guys had beat, people follow him because they're winners. But the moment they started losing, they drop, fans dropped off because there's no controversy with them. You know, people still talk about Tito Ortiz because of he was such a huge heel when he played the game, they still follow him. They still pay attention to him. They still like whatever he's doing now on, on, on uh, uh, Instagram, what he's doing now on, on Facebook, he's out fishing, he's hanging out with his, with his girlfriend, the kids and he's doing all that stuff. Like everyone still stalks him and looks at him because they remember him being that big heel. There's a lot of guys that were, that fought that were faces that were super nice that no one ever paid attention to again. Like once they were gone, they were gone. It's like, Oh, it's nice. Nice guy. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. They move on to the next thing. So Matt needed that. He needed that real, that real opponent that he'd get behind, that people can get behind and hate, and, and re he really needed that kind of guy. So I made up a, I made up a, 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 an image. I became the bad guy. Started talking trash. I went from the Muhammad Ali, Hulk Hogan kind of background. We were like, heels make the money. Let's let's be a heel and make it happen. I mean, I don't particularly care. I made up a lot of stuff on the fly just to see what happens, and and it worked. And it got me fights, and it got me into fights, and got people paying attention to me, and that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted fans to look. I wanted 50% of the fans to boo me, and 50% of the fans to like me, but 100% of the fans watching the fight. That's what I wanted. Now, unfortunately, it became 90% of the fans booing me, and 10% of the fans liking me, but still 100% of the fans watched the fight. But it still worked out. It still worked out in my favor, and that, that you know, that's really honestly how the, how the first that first fight, that first series went. Uh, when I fought for the UFC. Going back to what you said about the training, that, you know, back then it was like martial art versus martial art. Do you feel like it was more more guys now are more athletes than than yes. before? 
with yeah, SEC coaches and nutritionists and like, mental coaches and all of that stuff. Yeah, psychologists and acupuncture and, and rest and knowing knowing not to spar three days a week, you know, knowing to take time off and getting their head looked at and, and getting reaction times looked at. Like it's very scientific. It's a lot better. I, I've told this to a couple of guys. My era, Matt included, me, uh, uh, Couture, Liddell, Ortiz, anybody of my era, anybody that fought in my era, would be middle of the road in their weight classes today. The guys have gotten so much better. Like, it's not just a little bit better. Oh, you know, we have that conversation. Prime Muhammad Ali versus prime Mike Tyson. Who wins the fight? Well, Mike Tyson wins. He, it's, it's a different era. It's, he's the newer era. It's just, it's, it, that's going to happen. This is how it is. I don't care prime for prime. You do all the scientific behind it. Mike wins. That's just, he was a bigger heavyweight. He was a stronger guy. He was a faster guy. That's just how it works out. I'm not saying Muhammad Ali wasn't a great fighter. Just era differences. That's just how it is. My era cannot maintain with these guys. We were not, oh, you know, in my era, I would have won this. No, man, that's not how it works. These guys are so much better now. So much more scientific. So more, much more athletic than we ever were. You know, it, it not even it's not even comparison. Like I said, we'd be middle. I'd be middle of the welterweight division at this at this point, and I can't even make the weight. So it's like at this point, I can't even make one seventy. So I'd have to, I'd basically be an eighty-five pounder, and I wouldn't even be. I would shoot. I'd probably be bottom ten, bottom ten percent, bottom twenty percent, and my prime. That's how good these guys have become right now. When was the first time you saw any kind of science being used in the training camp? <sighs> so. Probably the first time I really saw it was at Extreme Couture's when he opened up in Las Vegas. And everybody kind of, everyone was kind of shifting to Vegas. It used to be Southern California. Everybody lived that because you know that's where all the fights, where all the jitsu guys were. Then UFC come was coming very big, becoming bigger and better. And the main office obviously was in Nevada, so everybody goes to Las Vegas to hang out. And we everyone just started moving the training camps over. So was some like, someone's got a training camp. Vitor Belfort shows up. Uh, Frank Mir is born and raised there, so he's staying put. All of a sudden, you got all these guys start showing up to train with these other guys. Couture opens up Extreme Couture's. Everybody bolts over. All the wrestlers that aren't aren't that are bigger, because all the small wrestlers were in Alpha Male with with uh, Uriah Faber. All the bigger wrestlers all ended up, you know, at Extreme Couture's. And that's when you started seeing guys like, okay, I've got to do two days a week of boxing, two days a week of wrestling, two days a week of of catch wrestling. I now got to get with Neil Melanson and figure out how to work this knee bar and how to work this ankle lock. Now I got to figure, you know, and then, oh, let me get this doctor and let me get this nutrition, you know. And what it was really is like the first time I really saw real science behind it was, was, was Couture. Now, mind you, he had been winning championships. He had been winning. That's how he went to, as an old man. He comes back and beats Tim Sylvia at, uh, at the Columbus, Ohio fight um, uh, that March is because of the science he put behind it. You know, he got the right nutrition, got the mental coach, you know, took his breaks, took his rest, worked certain things, like put together a really good, big game plan. That was the first time we're really seeing science kind of morph its way in. And then now it's like, somebody comes into the fight game. I mean, it's so much easier because you have so much more access to these guys. Our time, our back in our day, it was like, who do we call for nutritionists? You know, there, there's, there's a thousand nutritionists right now. Who do I call for mental, for mental coaching? Well, there's a thousand of them now. You know, who do I who do I call for my strength and conditioning? Who do I call for my wrestling? Who do I call for my catch wrestling? Who do I call for my for my jujitsu? Who do I call for my boxing? Do I want a boxer with a kickbox? Like, you know, now it's much easier. And our day is like, we know one guy that will come coach us for twenty bucks, you know, a week, coach our whole team, and that's the guy we gotta use because that's the guy we can afford. He's some some random boxing guy off the street. That's what's that's how it's gonna work. You know, and that was who we had. Now it's like, oh, no, I can, I can pick and choose. I'm a lefty. And I prefer to leave it a left hook. Uh, but I like to come back with an uppercut. Who can actually help me with that game? Oh, call call Floyd Mayweather Jr. Okay, all right, let's get Floyd Mayweather Jr. See what happens. Oh, no, let's call Senior. Okay, what else? Call Uncle. You know, it's like all of a sudden now you have access to all these guys. You know what? Um, uh, I want to be a vegan. Okay, well, this nutritionist, these are the five nutritionists to be a vegan. I want to be, I want to eat caveman diet. Well, here's these five guys who do caveman diet. Okay, I want to eat a well, you know, here it is for the well balance. Like, okay, I need meal prep. Like, where's my problem? Okay, here's the 10 meal prep companies you can choose from. I need supplements. Well, here's the 35 supplement companies you can choose from. They're all approved. Like, now it's so much easier. But our day was like, can I get some protein? Yeah, sure, here's your protein. <laughs> you know? Can I get some creatine? Yeah, here's your creatine. Good luck. Well, what's the dosage? I don't know. I'll take it. What's it say on the label? Like, now it's like, it's so much more. Doctors are all about it. It's like, you've got full contact. It's, it's, it's become, it's a lot, it, the sport is actually better. The sport is a lot better now than when I fought. It's way better. Uh, uh, physically, emotionally, uh, financially, for sure, uh, these guys are getting paid way more than we got paid uh, when we were fighting. Uh, but it's it's so much easier now to do what these guys do. 
because they have so much more access. But they're also smarter because they have so much more knowledge of self. We were just like, you know, my, sh my shoulder hurts from yesterday's practice. It's suck it up. Time to go work again. You're like, now it's like, well, your shoulder hurts. Hold on a second. You're still nine weeks out from this fight. Let's go take care of it now before it becomes an issue two weeks out of the fight. Let's go handle it. You know, it's so much It's so much better now. And, and the fighters are smarter about it, too. There's a separation between a fighter mentality and now there's an athlete mentality to the fighter. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just, it's a whole nother level. So you talk about this a lot. We talked about Mike Tyson earlier and, and Muhammad Ali. And why everyone always has this argument is because Tyson is a brawler, but Ali was a boxer, right? So he was sweet science. Mayweather's a boxer. He's not going to overwhelm you with a, a thousand punches. He'll make you tired because you can't touch him. And that's his game. That's what he does. He blocks, he blocks, he blocks. You get tired third round. He starts picking your parts, starts wailing you. All of a sudden, you're knocked out in the ninth. That's how he does it. So I was very much a brawler. I was very much harder, faster, stronger is going to win fights. Guys today are very much more sweet science guys, very much more tacticians. I can throw a thousand jabs. I can throw jabs so my shoulder falls off, but at some point I have to shoot a takedown. So they're going to go and learn everything. So instead of doing a thousand jabs, they're throwing 500, but they're also doing 500 takedowns. So they're doing a jab, takedown, jab, takedown. So they're much more scientific. They're much better. The, the, the athletes that are in the game now are way better than we were. Way better than that. I can't. I can't overemphasize that enough. The athlete today that's MMA dwarfs what we did. They're so much better. You fought Matt Hughes twice, two times for the title. You know, memorable fights. Uh, what do you remember about Matt Hughes the most? But not inside the octagon, but outside the octagon. Your interactions with him. Um, at the time, this isn't so much. This isn't so much true now after the after the train accident he's completely changed after the train accident like his recovery system what he went through in his life his personal trials and tribulations the way he really had to search inside himself and and in he had a crisis of faith in the middle of it he was very religious but he had a crisis of faith in the middle of his thing and he really had to get get himself together and what i found amazing about matt is it was amazing because i was the same way he played a really nice guy on camera and in person and he was a complete douchebag in real life. I played a complete douchebag in, 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 on, on camera. It was a nice guy in real life. I was like, it amazed me that I thought I came up with this, this route. I thought I was the guy that invented this thing. I was like, no, Matt invented it. He just did it the reverse way. That he's really not a nice guy, but he played a nice guy on TV. You're like, wow. Like, you know, the stories about, you can talk to all sorts of guys, you know, uh, uh, Marcus Davis is probably one of the guys you want to interview. Talk about the Melchish days back in the day when what they did to him when he came up and, and he showed up to to fight and how these guys were and how they treated him and how they did stuff to him and like how they picked on Tim Sylvia when before he was a champ and even after the champ like they used to just berate him all the time and all sorts of stuff that went on up there. You're like, wow, this, but that was how it was done back in the day. That's how things were. It's not like that anymore, obviously, because everybody be you know you, you me too me. It's gonna be a whole thing. But yeah, so like to me, the most thing that, that the most memorable thing is that Matt was complete opposite of what you saw in person, and so was I. And like I said, man, I thought I invented it. I was like, nah, man, he, this guy did it. <laughs> this guy did it first, and he did it better. He did it way better, you know, than I did. I was like, wow, this is this is incredible. Like how much people don't realize, like he's just not a nice guy, but he plays one so well on TV and his interviews and how he puts himself out in public. It's amazing. To see it's amazing to see and like i said it's completely changed now he actually is a nice guy now that the train accident we talk a little bit and we text i mean i'm not saying we're friends you know we're not like we're going out for a beer or whatever but i text him now and again and we chat and we you know chat back and forth on facebook and stuff like that and he's in a much better place than he was back then but we're also talking what 15 years ago you know who doesn't change in 15 years do you remember uh, uh something that he said to you or did to you that kind of stood out more than anything like hey kind of caught you off guard no, see, that, that's the thing is that like his, one of his most famous things that he ever said was, if you want to, if you want to find somebody that nobody likes and is and is severely hated within within the within the game, you know, look at Frank Trigg. Well, I'm the one that gave him that line. I'm the one that told I told him that, and he goes and says it and it becomes a thing. It becomes like this huge big thing. I'm like, I'm the one that said it. Like I'm the one that if you want to find somebody to hate, like I'm the guy. Like I'm the guy. That's, I don't because I don't care. To to to, to me. To me, it was all make-believe. All that stuff besides the fight is make-believe. Everything else is just hype to sell a fight. It's got nothing to do with what's actually going on in the fight. If 
if Gaethje and Tony Ferguson never said a word before the fight, never did any abuse, didn't do anything at all, completely backed out of it, it's still going to be a great fight. But the difference is that we want to see the fight now, and I'm waiting for, I can't wait till next week for this, or for this, excuse me, this weekend, for this fight to, to, to show up. I can't wait to see this fight because of the hype and the talk and, and everything that's gone on around it. For us, the only way to get people to watch fights was to talk trash. Like I said earlier, he's a face on the heel. I got to talk trash. I just made it up. I mean, the whole line about, I have a better family than you, and I got, you know, I'm better than you, I'm stronger than you, I'm faster than you, I got a better family than you, and after I beat your ass, I'm gonna drink a beer and, and go back. I'm, I'm gonna beat your ass and go drink a beer. Like that whole thing, I literally made that up as I was saying it. Like as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, well, that, that's. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But anything that Matt did or said never got to me because he didn't really say anything for one. He just wasn't that kind of guy. He wasn't going to talk trash to anybody. So it just wasn't wasn't his style. So that didn't work. And anything he did or said, you know, outside of the cage didn't affect me. It, it actually kind of it was oblivious. Other people would have to tell me, oh, you know, you know, he did this thing. He said that thing. Well, OK, all right. And I just move on. Like I didn't because to me, my assumption was. I was making everything up to sell a fight, so he's making everything up to sell a fight. No one actually means it. It's not that big of a deal. So I just kind of, you know, did whatever and moved on. And even now, he'll talk about it now, like, oh, yeah, like, like he'll, he'll say, oh, yeah, we had a real, real big rivalry. We really didn't like each other. Like, we had a big problem with it, whatever, blah, blah. I was like, I, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sure, man. Like, I, I didn't care. <laughs> I, just, I still don't care. Like, I didn't care one way or the other. That, that's why repping for me is, is a little bit easier than most guys in my position. Because when you get booed and they and they get online and talk about you like how you officiated a fight, it doesn't bother me. Like I have really thick skin. I've always kind of been picked on my entire life, so it doesn't really bother me when someone else picks on me. I have, I have a three F rule, um, uh, and I'm not. Uh, 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 oh, okay, no, I can I can say it. I was trying to say because one of the words is a swear word, but I can figure it out. So if you're not feeding me, financing, or fornicating with me, then you you don't really have an opinion about my life. You, you can have your opinion, talk to me about it, but I don't take your opinion. You're not giving me money, right? You, you're not you're not giving me giving me dinner, and we're not sleeping together. So why are we having this conversation? You know, it's just it's, so it's like so all that stuff that comes at you, you're just kind of like whatever, just reject, just all right. Like, yeah, you're great. Ah, right, good job. Oh, you got me to move on. Like I don't really care. It doesn't bother me so much. So that's been a real saving grace for me. That that things. That's why Matt. It's kind of funny because like people still talk about the trash talking before the fight, but I'm like. What do you remember about the trash talking? They only remember this side of the side of the table. They don't remember the other side, and that's how it always works. They only remember the heel. Only remembers the bad guy. Nobody remembers the good guys. Don't remember the bad guys. And that's that's and that's what I wanted. But I thought I'd win <laughs> and have titles and have money to back it up. But it just didn't work out that way. Not too long ago, I remember that you stepped out as a referee during a UFC event, and when they announced your name, people cheered you. Yeah, yeah. It was like that's a little. It was a little weird. That was a little weird. Was it? Yeah, yeah. When they say, oh, yeah. And then Bruce Buffett goes, the third man in the cage, you know, uh, Frank Trick. Uh, uh, or actually, he says, UFC Hall of Famer Frank Trick. And he and then fucking bolts out. And everyone's like, ah! I was like, I have never been cheering inside this cage ever. Like, this is a little crazy for me. It's a little weird to be to getting getting cheered. You know, it was a little weird. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun, yeah. Yeah, I, I was applauding, man. That was great. That was great that you were getting cheered by, you know, the newer fans of the sport. You know what I mean? Like, that that kind of surprised me. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun It's fun to see that a lot, and a lot of guys, I had one fan come to me and, like, you know, how long have you been reffing for? Like, 15, 16 years? Whatever. Like, no, no, I've been doing about seven years now, I think. Eight years, maybe. Seven years. I've been reffing. He's like, oh, what'd you, what'd you do before that? I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean what I did before that? He goes, yeah, what were you doing before? You know, how come you got into reffing so much later? Because I know a lot of these guys get it when they're younger. He goes, oh, I was fighting. They're like, oh, were you any good? I'm like, wow, you really are a new guy. Honestly, was not that good, but I'm in the UFC Hall of Fame as a fighter. And they're like, what? Oh, and then, like, internet, 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 internet. Like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't even realize. I had no idea. Like, my godson, uh, he just he just turned three the other day. Just turned three. And he makes his dad turn on YouTube videos of my fights, the ones that are still on YouTube, obviously. And on Fight Pass, pull up, oh, pull, pull up Frank's, and they'll pull him up and play him. I'm like, he's like, so you talk to him, he's like, I'll see him. And I'm like, oh, you don't fight anymore, right? But no, 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 Ethan, we talk. Like, I don't fight anymore. Like, I'm done fighting. I'm roughing now. He goes, I'm glad. I don't want like to see you get hit. I'm like, so this is like a three year old who's just coming to terms with like 
wow, people get punched, people get hit. Like, this is a real thing. Somebody he knows, you should do this. And he still has to check in with me. But every single time we watch a fight together, you're not fighting tonight, right? We know, I'm with you in the house. The fights are in Las Vegas. The fights are in, he lives in Hawaii. He's like, I'll be at his house in Hawaii. And they're like, I'm like, no, no, the fights are in Las Vegas. The fights are someplace else. I goes, oh, good, I don't, I don't watch the fights now. I don't you fight tonight. I'm like, yeah, I'm not fighting, I'm good. So it's like, there's a lot of new fans that don't realize. We've, we've been to house parties. We've been to, to places where people are like, um, you seem to know a lot about this fighting thing. Like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I ref. Whatever. Oh, okay, whatever, blah, blah, And they'll talk to me the whole night about, about officiating. And then I'll leave, and I'll be walking out the bar, walking out the restaurant, whatever. And they're like, hey, did I get a photo with you? I didn't realize that you were Frank Trigg. I didn't realize. I'm like, you were talking to me the whole night. Like, how the hell did you, did, did you not know who I was when you started the conversation? Like, well, no, man, I didn't, I didn't know, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, definitely, there's a lot of new fans that only know me as a referee and only see me ref. But they also watch all the events. They watch every event in Southern California. These are people that that have um, uh, uh, somebody they know or somebody related to that fights in the minor circuit in, in around uh, California that are try they're trying to make the jump to Bellator, make the jump to UFC. So these guys, they hang out with them all the time. They're, they're, they're you know, they're fans, they're supporters, you know, of, of the particular athlete. I'll ref their athlete, you know, at, at Lights Out Promotion, for example, and then a couple months later, I'm refing them at a Bellator. And they're like, what? You're everywhere. I'm like, well, no, I'm not really everywhere. It's just the assignment. This is how the assignment worked out. And they're like, yeah, I had no idea that you actually fought. I had no clue. I just thought you were another referee. Like, well, I'm one of the lucky ones. I, mean, I actually got to, you know, I got to got to be, fight the top level, fight the best guys at the best time in their primes, in the best organizations in the world, and then now I get to ref these guys. I and mean, for me, it's 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 perfect. All right, UFC two, uh, two UFC forty eight, your first victory in the octagon, Dennis Hallman. I I I think a lot of people don't realize how good Dennis Hallman was back then and you beat him twice once in the UFC and once outside the UFC talk about that fight and, and fighting a guy like Dennis Hallman what it meant for you to beat him two times it, it was weird because it's that MMA math Hallman beat Hughes twice Hughes beats Trigg twice Trigg beats Hallman twice so A beats B, B beats C, C beats A it's like this circular thing Like this doesn't make any sense I fought him in WFA. Um, this is this this is a rule change. So th this this particular fight caused a rule change. Previous to this, all the rules followed boxing when it came to below the belt. Okay, so if you hit below the belt, obviously it's the, the waistline and below. It's below the belt. So I need him or kicked him in the bladder, like right. I put, it was a perfect shot. I've been working on it whole training camp. Kick this guy in the bladder because I don't want to kick him high because I was worried about him getting a hold of my leg and getting a heel hook or, an, or a leg lock. He's really good. He's really good at those. I was like, I don't want to even take a risk at it. It's going to be bad for me. So I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay out of it. So I kicked him low on purpose because I want to be able to cut him in half, but still have my feet close enough to the ground that if he grabbed it, I can get into a wrestling stance and stop him from attacking my, my, my ankle or my knee or my hip. So I kick him in the bladder. He turns around, falls down, says he got kicked in the groin. Larry Landless, the referee, uh, stops the fight uh, and 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 looks at the replay, sees it's below the belt. Technically, it's low below, but it's not in the cup area. So it's not a groin shot. So they give him the five minutes recovery, can't recover. Uh, they wave the fight off, and then I win. That's that's the first fight, WFA, uh, under John Lewis's banner. We fight UFC 48. They were assuming that he would beat me, so it would give him another shot to fight Matt again. And so he could be the guy that would beat Matt. He fights me. Uh, you know, he goes for his heel hook. I plant my heel so he can't get a hold of it. I back fist him in the face. Fight's over. That's the fight where I would talk with a double bird. I get the double bird as I walk off. Um, to beat him the second time was a big deal. Because mind you, three months previous to that, I just lost to Matt. And so I'm trying to get a title fight run back again. And this is the, last, this is the last guy to beat Matt. I'm like, I got a shot to make this happen if I get in here and do this fight right. So I go in and I fight uh, Dennis. I beat Dennis. I'm like, they're now going to put me in a title shot again. And they have to put me back in again because I beat the guy to beat him twice. Like, what's going to happen? Unfortunately, it's not the way it worked. Uh, uh, hold on, I had one more fight, right? UFC 45, 48, 52 to 54, right? Is that the I It's been so long, forgive me. UFC 50. Okay, 50. So I fought in 50, and that's when I fought Marissimo, and that's And that one was that by far is the toughest fight I was ever in. 
not the one they talk about the most. Obviously, Matthews 2 is the one they talk about the most. But that that Verissimo fight was the toughest fight of my entire career, by far, by far. It was, it was a really super tough fight. But to beat Holman at 48 was a huge deal. I mean, that was a big deal because I, I really believed after that fight, next fight's going to be for the title again. And this time, I'm going to get him. Next, this next one is going to work out. And then, you know, it obviously did. <laughs> Why was uh, Verissimo the, the toughest fight? So I could hit him with whatever I wanted. He had horrible boxing defense. Pretty decent strikes, but horrible boxing defense. I couldn't put him away. He kept just taking a beating. He just kept taking it. Then the end of the first round, I go to pull both my arms out. I take him down, and I'm in his guard. I go to pull both my arms out so I can pass, and he grabs my wrist. And I, to this day, cannot figure out how his legs went from being on my hips to wrapping me up in a triangle. He moved. He didn't even move. Like, there was no... Usually when you're on somebody and you feel their abs tighten up, you know they're about to lift their legs. You have to tighten your abs up first before your legs move up, right? So I got my I got my one hand is on his ab and I'm kinda and I'm trying to like fumble my other hand either back in or get the other hand out. And as I'm pulling out, he grabs my one hand, I get stuck, and boom, that triangle is on and it's locked deep. It is all the way to the crock of his knee. He is wrapped up tight. He's turning himself sideways, like I am caught. I'm like, okay, let me battle my way out of here. So I'm punching him, punching him, punching him. And I see the window's coming. The window's coming. The window's coming. And finally, I keep punching and punching him. And I'm like, it's going to, you know, for those of you that have choked before, it doesn't go like this. In close, it goes like this. You're just out. I was like, it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to wake up. I'll be in his lap. Well, somehow I got out of the triangle. I wake up and I'm in his lap. And I'm like, oh, 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 the fight's still going. Herb Dean is the ref. They're like, the fight's still going. The fight's still going. Okay, all right. All right. So then, uh, round ends. We get in the second round. Elbow over the top of the head a bunch of times. Fight, fight's over. About three, four months later, before I could finally get it, because mind you, there's no fight pass. There's no place to look at these things. I had, to, I had to find it. Finally found it. Look at it again. My head turned 14 shades of red. Well, my, you could see the blood stop flowing to my scalp as he's squeezing this freaking thing in. Like you see how hard it is. And I remember going. My eldest son Frankie is there watching this fight. Um, it's in Atlantic City. He's in the corner with my. He's in the in the stands with my dad. I am like I can't lose in front of my son. I have no knowledge of how to get out of a triangle. Zero knowledge of how to get out of a triangle. I'm training in jiu-jitsu and catch wrestling, but have no idea what I'm doing in this position. Like everything, all my worth, all everything I was all taught, gone, gone from my head. I have no idea what's happening. I turn the corner, get up, and then went in the fight. But I'm like. That is not the way I would have win this fight, man. If the if the if the round was three or four seconds longer, I probably would have been finished. I probably would have like it would have been a point of like, okay, I don't even got this thing. If if he had just grunted down a little bit more and put his body together, just squeeze a little bit harder, I would have went right out. And nothing I could have done about it. I would have blacked out on it. And it was like so by far it's the toughest fight because afterwards, I realized how lucky I was his legs gave out. I was able to get my head out of that because that really was the end of the fight. He really would have tried only to put me out of it. And before that fight, Verissimo had just fought Matt Hughes, had him in a triangle, lost the fight because the time ran out. So that's going on in my head as well. Like, time better hurry up and run out because I don't think I'm going to get out of this thing. I don't know if it's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, it was tough, toughest fight by far, by far. Well, that earned you a title shot. The second fight with Matt Hughes, you know, everybody knows it. It's a Hall of Fame fight. Do you feel like if there was another ref in there, not Mario Yamasaki, because, you know, Mario Yamasaki is famous for that line. If he dies, he dies or something like that. Right. If it was another ref, do you think they would have stopped that fight? So, OK, so back up real quick to the first Holman fight. Kicked him in the bladder below the belt. They didn't change the rule. It's the cup area. You hit him in the cup, that's illegal. You don't hit him in the cup, it's legal. So now you get bladder shots, which is what happened the second man he used fight. I need him in the I need him in the bladder. I'm trying to hit him as hard as I can in the bladder, shut his legs off, so I have a shot, and you, it works, right? Also, he got hit and got flash knocked out. Before that fight, there was no flash knockout. You didn't get dropped, and then and then the fight was over. You got dropped, they gave you a second. It's kind of like a like a uh, 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 the reverse standing eight count. We didn't just assume you're unconscious because you dropped. They jump on you, and they wait to see what happens, and then they stop the fight. Well, after that fight, they stopped it because Matt rolled up. So what had happened is I'm in there. We're fighting with Bally. I'm hitting him, and I stop hitting him because I'm like, this guy's unconscious. Mars going to stop it at any time. But I'm hitting him hard enough to wake him up, not hard enough to put him under because I backed off of my power 
Matt wakes up, has the wherewithal to keep fighting. He fights. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, fight's over, fight's over. And all of a sudden, oh, no, we're still in a fight. Like, what the hell just happened? Now I'm caught and the fight's done. Now the rule change. I firmly believe Mario gets it the heaviest because he had mistakes later with that girl fight down in Brazil. Um, he got uh, sat down for a while. They call it sitting down. They don't use him as a ref as much for a while. So he gets his, gets his reps back in, stuff like that. So he gets the, he gets the argument because uh, uh, he screwed up years later as well. So now it always, you screw up once, you know, 2005, you screw up in 2010. That's a pretty good run. It's five years. That's a pretty good run. Nope, they remember it. They bring back up 2005. They bring up 2010. Now 15. Now 18. Now 19. Like all of a sudden now they're still remembering everything. Like come on guys. Like there's a big gap in the middle there. It's a different situation. I honestly believe no matter what ref was in there, minus Big John McCarthy. Big John McCarthy was in there. Fight would have been over. It would have been done because he would have seen that Matt was out. Any other ref, any other ref, same situation would have happened. They would have stopped it. It would have went continued, and Matt still would have won. It wouldn't have changed. Nothing would have happened. The only ref that would have made a change is John McCarthy, and he wouldn't have had my fight anyway because he always gets he always gets the main event, you know. And that's how it is. That's how it works. Well, after that, it was weird because you just fought for the the title, and then you get released by the UFC, even though you had fights left on your contract. Was there really some kind of beef going on with Dana White? Not to my knowledge. I mean, they said like me. For one, you know, which is fine. I mean, I'm not, my personality is not liked by everybody. I have a lot of people I have worked with. You know, I'm, I'm an actor and a, and a stuntman now. And I work with a lot of people on set I don't get along with. But when it's time to do the job, you do the job. When it's time to go through the window, you go through the window. You know, you don't have to eat lunch with them. You don't have to hang out with them in their trailer, but you be polite. You know, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Watch for safety because the shit we do is dangerous. So, you know, there's people I can work with I don't like. They just didn't like me, you know. Um, and then for them, logistically, it was like, why keep a guy around that Matt beat twice that's going to take me, you know, four or five, six fights to get back into the title contention? Do they want to keep me at my, at my current rate of pay to make that happen? So you just release me and go someplace else. And actually, I used to make, I made way more money outside the UFC, like comparatively. I made no money in fighting as a whole, just to be clear. I made no money in, in fighting. I barely survived. But I made more money outside the UFC than I did, than I did in the UFC. So it doesn't really matter to me, you know? Uh, uh, but it was very, it was very difficult for me to have to go. So I had to wrap my head around. And mind you, I don't come from a corporate background. I come from an athletic background. You show up, you perform, you do your job. You're going to be back. I thought I showed up. I thought I performed. I lost, but I thought I did okay. I don't know why you would let me out of my contract that early. It took me a long time to wrap my head around that the UFC. You couldn't quit the UFC, but they could quit you anytime if they wanted to. Any, any reason. And, and even and to my knowledge, I don't have access to the contracts because I don't I don't sign contracts anymore. But to my knowledge, that's still that's still in there. They they can let you out of your contract whenever they want to, which is great for them. It makes sense for them. You're becoming too hard. You're becoming too difficult to deal with. They'll let you go. But they also can sit you down and hold you to your contract and not fight you. Like I have a year left in my contract. And I have three fights left. Okay, we're not going to fight you for a year. You're just going to sit. It's like okay, you got to play nice. You got to play nice. You know, if there was beef. I'm sure there was beef. I'm sure there was. Like I say, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. To me, it's all it's all about business. It doesn't make any any difference whether they like me or not. Um, but it it probably did hurt me on my chances getting back. It probably did hurt my pay coming back on my second run. But it didn't matter. I wasn't any good anyway. So it really doesn't it really didn't affect it. You'd have to ask my managers to find out if there's actually any real beef. But I'm sure there's something in there. I said something or did something or you know people don't you know I got a mouth. You know, I don't have much, but I have an opinion. And so people were always like, okay, well, you know, and then they take my opinion and, and run it as fact, and that's just how it happens. You know, and that, that's it. I mean, there's nothing I can really do about it. And to be honest, you know, people ask, like, do you say hi to Dana? Do you hang out with him? No, I don't say hi to him. When I'm at a UFC, I'm usually dressed in all black. So I'm a referee. It's not appropriate for the referees to speak to the promoters. The promoter speaks to the, to the head, of, to the head uh, uh, inspector, the lead inspector, or to the lead executive officer that's there. So you, UFC obviously is the big show. So you've always got Andy Foster. You know, in California, he's always at the show. So he's there. So he talks to him. I say hi to him, I wave at him. We don't hang out in the same circles. He's a multi, multi millionaire. He's almost a billionaire. He's a multi, multi millionaire. I'm a penny here. We don't run in the same circles. There's no reason for me to hang out with him. There's no reason for me to talk to him. I'm very cordial to him. I'm very respectful to him when he comes in. I say hi to him. If I see him out in Vegas running around, if I'm in Vegas and he's in Vegas and we have the same place, I'll go out of my way to say hi to him just out of respect. But, you know, it's, it's not, we're friendly, we're not friends. We don't hang out together. You know, Chuck 
and, and, and Dana are friends. They're friends. Their families hang out together. They go to each other's birthday parties and do stuff for each other. Like, we don't have that kind of relationship. There's no reason for me to say hi to him, you know? Um, it's like uh, uh, when he sees me, he says hi, and we do talk, you know? We'll have a quick quick little John or whatever, but there's no reason for you to, to interact with him, so I don't. You know, there's no no hard feelings or anything like that. It's just there's just no reason to. So I don't do it, you know? I got I got a job to do when he's there. I got the, the job representing the commission I'm working for, and that's the job I got to do, so I don't need to talk to Dana. Not, you know, if he talks to me, I'm absolutely going to talk to him. If he says hi to me, I'm absolutely saying hi back, but I'm not, it's just not appropriate. You know, it's like just how it works. Back then, another thing was that you weren't a big fan of uh, women's combative sports. You, At all. You expressed that it was just too sexualized. And now it's become extremely sexualized, it, it seems, right? More than before. Uh, yeah. How, how do yeah. you feel now? Do you, has your views changed? Uh, somewhat, um, or is it still so the same? I, I like it better, obviously. I mean, I'm, I'm friends with uh, Felice Herrig and Carla Esparza and Ashley Lee Smith and, and, and Rachel Ostovich and Gina Carano and these, you know, and Chris Cyborg. Cyborg is more of an acquaintance, but these rest of these girls are friends of mine. Like, these are friends, you know? And it's like they fight and they bring it. But like uh, Paige Van Zandt and the Rachel Ostovich fight, even they said, like, the, both of them have said, yeah, this is going to be the hottest fight in the country. Like it's it's going to be two hot chicks fighting. It's the hottest. Gonna, it's still sexualized. Like, women's fighting is still sexualized. That's the way it is. It's 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 just a fact of life. Would not train with a female fighter. Would not train uh, 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 with them. Obviously, they're in, the, they're in the group. You know, it's a big mad area. And everyone's, everyone's partnered up. But I would not train with a female fighter. Was in a shark tank kickboxing Every minute somebody new comes in at you, you don't know where they're coming from. It could come in front of you, it could be coming behind you. You fight this guy, you fight this guy, you fight this guy. All of a sudden, that guy rolls off and somebody else steps in. I turn around, I get kicked in the gut, I keep going, keep going, keep going. Well, this girl snuck on, you know, she wanted to be one of the dudes. She kicks me in the leg. I kind of check it, I'm like, all right, whatever, it's just broad, I'll just, you know, whatever. Blah. I'll just smack her a couple times and this round, I'll take this round off, whatever. She steps and kicks me in the liver so hard. I have to call time. Like, guys, I got it. This one got me. I got I to gotta hold up. I got to hold up. Gina Carano. So that's my first real induction of her. I'm like, okay, this girl brings it just as good as she takes it. I got to respect her now as, a, as an athlete. So whenever, whenever the opportunity, we're two different weight classes. You know, it's like, you know, uh, there's always certain things we can do together because of our size, right? But I was like, if she's going to treat me like that as a, as a real competitor, when, when she gets in front of me, I respect her enough to treat her like a real competitor when she steps in front of me. So when I'm refing the women, to me, it's not uh, it's not ladies, it's not girls, it's not hey fighter, are you ready to get fighters? Are you ready? They're fighters in there. It it is it is non-binary to me. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, transgender, LBGTA. I don't care. You're in there. You pass you pass all the drug tests. You pass the physical. You sign a dotted line. You're ready to fight. You're now fighting. So my view on women's fighting is, yes, it still is highly sexualized. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get these girls in there, and they're getting picked on because they're a little flabby through their midsection. They're a little loose through their shoulders. You're like, this is a different body. You don't say that about the heavyweights. You don't pick on the heavyweights for being fat. You don't pick on the heavyweights. You don't pick on some of these, these guys are 155 pounds. These males are 155 pounds that are kind of dumpy at the weight class. You, you don't care. Why are you picking on all these girls? Why, why are you looking at these at these ladies and picking on them? To me, it makes no sense. It's still super highly sexualized. And it's a little fetish niche. You know? You look at these girls, they're mid-level, middle-of-the-line. You know, they're they're okay, decent records. They fight some, not fight some. <clears throat> you look at their Instagram followers versus a guy in the exact same position, exact same space. Their Instagram followers. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking girls that like are are nipples covered. And bikinis all the time. I'm talking these girls are super respectful, super nice, super grounded. You know, uh, uh, they they do things from an appropriate level, you know, for kids. Like that 14 and under group. They're very appropriate for kids 14 and under. Hundreds of thousands of followers versus a couple thousand followers for a guy in the exact same position. We just view women as more sexual, so we follow them more. I mean, look, look, at, look at Ray Solstrovich. Extremely attractive. Extremely nice. Very religious, very homegrown, very down to earth. I don't even know what her following numbers are. It doubles almost every day. It's incredible. And she's putting out stuff about her and her daughter. 
and eating and hanging out with her friends and 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 uh, the the things uh, the because of quarantine she can't go to church on Sunday so she watched it via video from home and her Bible study and and I mean her dad invented Jesus the Lord team and they that's the team they fought for Jesus the Lord that was old school guys Ray Cooper Ronald Jun uh, Nico Vitale all fought under Jesus the Lord team like this is a huge religious group of people and Rachel gets fouled all the time she's not there to be she is. Obviously, why she has to wear a bikini all the time. But she's not there with topless shots. She's not there showing her ass off. Not doing any of that stuff. Hundreds of thousands of followers. Still sexualized. Guy in the same position will have thousands of followers. It's like, okay, it's still sexualized. But now they've embraced it. It's not being thrown at them. It's not being forced on them. They're embracing it. No, 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 yeah, no. I, I know I know I'm hot. And I know these followers are going to follow me because I'm hot. So I'm going to get more... Instagram followers means I'm gonna get more more deals done, which means I'm gonna get more something companies, which means I'm gonna get more you're like, okay, you're right. You guys are under, you guys understand how the game is played. They get it now. So I'm not as upset about it as it used to be back in the day. Cause I see these girls, how hard they train. Nobody understands how hard it is for Felice with her knee injury to come back from them. You don't get it. Her boyfriend owns a gym, so during the during the COVID lockdown, she's still able to go to because it's his gym. He owns the gym. So they're able to go to the gym and she's able to get her rehab in her knee. You don't understand the depression or, or, or the things that athletes go through through injuries, how hard it is to come back from it, how difficult it is to come back from it. And then they get picked on because you have a six pack when you fight and all of a sudden it's turning into a four pack and it's turning into a two pack because you're laid up because you can't do any cardio because your knee, you know, what, what that does to somebody when you're always picking on them, oh, you're getting fat, you're getting flabby. Like she's freaking a little girl, like stop, like not, She's a lady, she's a woman, but she's little, she's small, 115 pounds. Like, you gotta give them a break. Like, this is, people don't understand the process it is to get through these things. And for the women, it's a lot more difficult. But they're starting to embrace a lot more. And because of it, they're starting to make more money outside the cage than the guys are. They just have more value. This, I mean, do you wanna, do you wanna go see um, uh, Uriah Faber at, a, at an autograph signing? Or do you wanna see Paige Van Zandt at an autograph signing? You know, do you want to see Henry uh, Cajito at, at an autograph signing? Or do you want to see Carlos Esparza at an autograph signing? You know, I, I, want, to go, I want to go see the girls. Like, I'm, 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 I'm really going to admit it. I'd rather go see the girls. I don't, man, I don't really care about the guys. I'm kind of cool, whatever, blah, blah. I'll stand in line. I'll wait. I'll stand in line and wait talk to the girls. Like, that's just, but everybody's like that, you know? So I still have that same opinion about it, but it's much better. And, and they're making money. And they're able to provide for their families. They're able to buy houses. They able to buy cars, you know. These people are, are are doing. The women are doing very well now in our man, and that kind of makes me uh, uh, a little little happy. Makes me a little, little little. Hey, my friends are actually doing well in this fight game. They're doing really well as women in this fight game. But like I said, for me and for and I gotta be honest with Jason Herzog and Mike Beltran, um, Herb Dean, John McCarthy when he was refing, uh, uh, all of us, uh, uh, Goddard. We, we've had we've had conversation about this. They don't care if it's male or female. They know the fight they have in front of them. They ref the fight in front of them as they're supposed to ref the fight in front of them. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. It's what, that's how they ref. It's just what it is. And that, these guys all stick on me. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. You ref it the same way. You don't change it, you know. But no, you do not ref every fight the same. Don't think that. Like, oh, every fight's ref the same. No, that's actual that's bullshit. It's not the truth. Every fight is ref differently because it's chaos. It's organized chaos. The only thing that's the same is, ready? Ready? Fight. From that, after that fist goes up, it's all bets are off. Anything can happen. You have no idea what'll happen. You're an old school fight guy. Remember when Patrick Cote was fighting Anderson Silva in between rounds? He gets up, he's standing there, and then right when the bell rings, he takes two steps forward and crumples to the ground because his knee get, he blew his knee out. Just stepped, blew his knee out. Fight's over. You're like, what, what the hell just happened? Like, what happened? He's like, oh, I blew his knee out. ACL surgery is out. Anything can happen in there. You have no idea what's going to go on. So no fight is the same. No fight is rough the same. But you have to treat it like it's non-binary. You have to treat it like it doesn't matter, male or female. Either treat it like they're all female or they're all male. You got to pick one side and just do it. And, be, and that's it. And be done with it. The only difference is, really, is it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, a new referee have to do the pat-down. Uh, before the fight, you know, it was checking for the grease fire. They're doing the pat-down, whatever. And we are getting such a habit of mouthpiece, cup, that you'll see the new guy go bumpies, cut. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> like you're good. Like women don't wear cups. Like, it's, just, it's what it is. They don't wear cups. So it's funny to see that guy. But that's that's the only real difference is that you have to remember. Don't ask the girls if they're wearing cups. You know. But other than that, I mean, they're just they're just fighters like anybody else. And I have a lot more. I have a lot better understanding too because now um, it used to be they're training with soccer moms. They're training with their friend down the street. They don't really have anybody to train with because the women tend to be lighter. 
right? So they're smaller and it's hard to find small guys to train with. Now you've got, geez, you've got camps where, I mean, Kano Yama, down in Yama, down in, in Orange County, he's got a crap ton of females. Like a, a ton of, it's almost to the point where you're like, he actually has more female fighters than male fighters. And it's like, and that's just what happens, you know? It, it's it's great to see how much the women's sport has, has really come up. The women's side of it has really come up and it's accelerated. Hell, I'm calling, you know, hell, I'm calling uh, 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 Ashley Evans, I'm calling her. Like, hey, what, what vegan supplement should I be taking? You know, like, what's the vegan supplement I should get this week, right? I'll call Carla up. Uh, spars are like, hey, look, what's the what's the meal prep service you're using now? Like, I'm calling them for advice. You know, that's how much they've expanded, how much they've come better. Like, I would never think about doing that when I was fighting. Now I'm like, no, 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 they have more knowledge about what's going on right now than I do. Let me call them. They're smarter about this than I am. You know, you talked about earlier 2003 when you first entered the UFC. You returned in 2009. What was the what was the differences that you noticed right away? You know, in backstage, coming out to the fights, all of that stuff. Oh, it was a t totally different game. It was, it was a full-on entertainment production when I came back. It was a full production. There was pre-fight, post-fight. You know, you show up on Tuesday. You got media obligations on Wednesday and Thursday. You make weight on Friday. Uh, you fight Saturday. The post-fight press, like it, all of a sudden, there was like somebody. It wasn't just Bert. Back then, it was Bert Watson would escort you up. You know, get ready to roll, baby. And then that guy, he gets ready to rock. <clears throat> it was. You had to worry about uh, uh, the doctors and the the. Are you going to be doing Ariel Hawani right after the fight? Are you going to be doing Megan O'Leary right after the fight? Are you going to you know who you going to be talking to after the fight? Is Joe coming in to do this do this this uh, uh, thing with you afterwards? Where's it going to be? See, like this whole is totally different. Press row might be ten or fifteen people. When I left, when I came back, it was like forty reporters from all over the world in there covering the sport. It had completely changed. It had turned into a real full entertainment thing. It was so much bigger and badder. It was so much, I mean, <clears throat> when they talk about, you know, the, the, the UFC jitters, the first time you get inside the UFC cage, it's not the cage that does it to you. It's the crowd. It's the backstage. It's like, I come, you know, I fought in the local circuit. You know, I fought in Lights Out. I fought in uh, CXF. You know, we're in, we're in, you know, outside on some mats that aren't staying together, warming up. So all of a sudden, I have a room with mats laid into it, and I got water, and there's snacks, and there's, and I got somebody checking me in and watching out for me, and the inspectors with me the entire time, and it's like it's a whole different. It was, you came and it's like, honestly, it was like going from going from uh, uh, junior high school to university. That was the jump. Like, that's how big the jump was. It was like, you're at junior high school. You're like, big dog in junior high school, blah, blah. And I was seeing Sherman University. You're like, I am just one small piece of this cog. Like, this machine is running without me. It makes no difference whether I'm here or not. If I break, it doesn't matter. The machine is just going to keep on going. I'm a super small gear in this whole thing. It, it was tremendously different when he got in there. Oh, tremendously different. Was it overwhelming? Um, not for me. What was overwhelming was the fact I had to come to the realization that I wasn't any good anymore. That I just did not have the speed, the athletic ability to the, the, the micro injuries, the little small tears were catching up with me. I just didn't have the game anymore. You know, I couldn't, I mean, easily, I should easily, easily beat Matt Sarah, easily beat Matt Sarah. Like he had nothing he could have done to me and he, and he KOs me. Like, how is that possible? Oh, I can't move. How, how does, how does, uh, 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 geez, what's his name? Kid from Fresno. He wrestled Edinburgh. Uh, he's from Buffalo. <laughs> Josh Koscheck. Like Koscheck, he, um, sorry. <clears throat> I live, I live by a Marine Harbor in California. And at seven o'clock, all the boaters in respect for the first responders the nurses and doctors that are all working right now, everyone gets out, and if they're on their boat, they blow their horns, put their horns off. Everybody just started doing it, and I was like, I didn't realize it was 7 o'clock. I'm looking, I'm like, what the heck just happened? Like, okay, right, 7 o'clock. I couldn't figure out why. I thought maybe somebody was coming in the harbor the wrong way, and they're blowing horns to let them know that they're under duress. So I'm looking out, and it's just everyone, appreciation for the thing, so it threw me off. I apologize. But, uh, uh, yeah, Koscheck, like, how does Koscheck drop me? Like, how does that even happen? I step in a hole. Like, in the, you look, you see me, I look down, I step in this hole. I'm like, what did my knee gave out? I blew my knee out, just stepping, just just walking in the cage. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, I stepped in. I thought the, the padding, I think the canvas was missing. No, my knee gave out. My knee shifted and dropped. 
was like, oh, okay. And I look up and Josh drops me. That's it. End of the fight. I'm like, I just don't have this anymore, man. I just, I'm just not the same guy. I don't have the speed. Like, what am I going to do? That was what was overwhelming for me was learning and coming to realization that, okay, you're, you're at the tail end of your career. What are we going to do? What's going to come up next? Mentally, it's there, but just physically, it's. I think that's the toughest decision, right, to make when you're a fighter is, like, when do I start? When do I give it all up, you know? Because it's, it's, it's the highest of highs. I got lucky because I found stunts and acting. Right. And that, that put me, that gave me my next step right away. And I wasn't making that much money fighting. So for me, it wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I'm a Conor McGregor. I just made $200 million fighting Mayweather. Say, say I brought home $50 million. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. My take home was 50 million. I started $50 million. Like, I, I make a couple million dollars every time I fight. Like, I don't, for him to jump into acting and stunt work makes no sense because the pay drop is so significant. So for me to make the crossover, it was like, okay, this makes sense. This is something I can get into that I have a longevity in that that the money is going to be better than what I'm making when I'm fighting. So the jump over for me made a lot of sense, financially for one, but two, physically, is like, okay, I can act like I'm getting punched in the head. I can act like I'm getting kicked. I can act like I'm in fights and do it 17 times a day for each take and go back and do it again the next day, or I can keep getting dropped. I can keep getting leg kicked and have my knees blow out. I can keep getting, you know, arm barred and my elbows blow out. And now what, now what am I going to do? You know, now I'm, I'm a cripple. You know, years later, you're a cripple in a wheelchair, can't do anything. So I got really lucky. I found a way out uh, for me without having to take the embarrassment of doing, you know, honestly, BJ Penn. Like, I don't have to do the embarrassment of going, coming back and trying to get that last victory, fighting six, seven times and losing six, seven fights in a row. It doesn't make any sense. You know, like, this, at some point, you got to realize <laughs> there is not a tomato can out there that I can beat anymore. <laughs> I got to just stop, you know, and that's, I came to that realization early, was able to get my, get, get out of it. You know? Well, Frank, thank you so much, man, for the time. Uh, I hope people that watch this, they uh, they get educated somewhat on you and in the past, and and I think that's something that's very important because this sport is still so young, but there's a long history because there's so many fighters out there that have contributed to this sport, and you're just one of those guys, and uh, and and doing it at, at the highest level. So it's uh, it's an honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time being on here. I didn't realize it's been an hour. Like, we're just on here talking. Like, the only reason why I knew is because it started blowing the horns. I'm like, holy crap, it's 7 o'clock. That's why I was I was so distracted. because like, it can't be that late already. We've been out here for an hour. But it's like, I was talking to Boss Rutten today, um, who I'm trying to convince to get into judging. He, he really has a passion for it. He really wants to do it, but he never started it, so he wants to navigate himself around it. So I started talking to him today, and he's like, people don't realize how long we've actually been in the game because we don't fight anymore. So they, they, so the people that see us now just think I'm a referee. They just think boss just does his, his. Uh, well, now it's it's uh, 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 stopped. The show got ended, but it was on um, um, HDNet or what is it now? Access TV, Access TV. That they just think that he does commentary on Access TV. They didn't realize that he's been around forever. In the, in the, he was fighting over in Japan. He was the king of prankers before people even knew what the hell that was. You know, he was he was kicking everybody's ass long before it. And you look at his record. He's he's a kickboxer. That's his training. On his record, he has more submission victories than he does knockout victories. You're like, you're a kickboxer that actually knows how to submit. That's a little weird. That's a little strange. But people forget, oh, no, he's got a great liver kick. He's got a great punch. Like, no, no, there's a lot of information out there about these old guys that you don't even know about, that people don't understand, don't even, don't even respect because you don't see it every day. You don't pay attention to it every day. It's guys like you that help bring it back to the new group of people to pay attention. Look, go back and look at these guys and watch their fights. A lot of a lot of his fights are still on YouTube because they're not bought up by the UFC yet. And if you have Fight Pass, you can see a lot of you can see his, his championship fights because they're on Fight Pass. You can see his him beat Kevin Randleman for the first heavyweight title. You can see all these things happen, you know. But it didn't work that way. And Boss Root is actually the first guy to win a round from his back in a fight. And and it didn't happen again for like ten or fifteen years. He was he beat Kevin Randleman from his back. Kevin took him down and just laid there, and he was cutting him up with elbows and punching him and trying to get out of the way, trying to get him off, but Kevin would let him. He kept hitting him like, dude, you want to go see how to win from your back when you're fighting a wrestler? Go watch Boss Rutten versus Kevin Randleman. There's no, you'll never find a superior wrestler to Kevin Randleman at the time, and you couldn't find a better guy to win from the bottom of Boss Rutten. That was, that was the round. Like, that taught you how to do it. Like, that's the guy. Like, there's a lot of information out there about people that just don't get it. It takes guys like you to, to do the interviews and talk to these old guys and put it out there where guys are like, oh, I don't really care about that guy. Who cares? Like, that's kind of silly. Like, you know, you don't understand. These guys are the old G guys. These are the guys that got the sport to where it is now. And their knowledge base is incredible because we grew up with it. We grew up into and through this sport longer than most people have. So thank you very much for having me on.
No doubt. Well, before the before the Diaz brothers made the Stockton slap famous, it was Boss Rutten that was slapping, <laughs> less slapping the shit out of people, right? In Pack Race, he's got he's got the tattoos on his thumbs, because <laughs> to remind him of where to hit, like you got to hit right there. The whack, You're like oh my gosh, like dude, yeah, Stockton slap. That's it. That's two point It was great because um, uh, uh, I talked to somebody the other day. They're like, uh, Trig started, Chael Sonnen was two and and uh, Conor McGregor is 5G. Like, he improved the game. We've all improved it. But I start, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm the guy who started it. Okay, all right, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. So, like, people talk about the stock that slapped. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, no. The Diaz brothers perfected it, but Boss Rutten started it. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 